0: All right,
1: let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. How are you? Is everything okay? Are you all right? Lori Anderson is here today. Lori Anderson. Now, I don't know how old you are, or who's listening to this, but Lori Anderson for me was pretty important as an artist and as somebody who represented that world of art. And she was one of the people that kind of broke through. What was the name of that first record? Was it big science? I'm trying to, I, I, you know, it's like, I remember having that record in high school. It was big science, came out in 1982. So I will, I will have just, huh, I would have just graduated high school. So, you know, my brain was wide open. It remains more open than I'd like it to be, to be honest with you. But but it just went in there. The, the idea of her, the idea of coming out of that New York art scene, the idea of that New York art scene. I mean, she was a portal, one of the many portals into, you know, Philip Glass, into experimental music, into you know, what became my obsession with Brian Eno. There was, I can't remember whether or not the guy at the record store next door turned me on to her, but I remember listening to that album a lot. And then Mr. Heartbreak afterwards, there was something funny about it. There was something compressed and witty and, and totally unique about the sound of her voice, about the sounds that she was using. And then you kind of just grow up with these people being around and she's done so much other stuff, visual arts. She's done, you know, poetry. She's done records with other people. She's, she, I just, I, when I was going through this, I found this, uh, this record of her dealing with, you, you know, I, I think it was, it was a meditative record, a meditation record, songs from the Bardo. That's crazy stuff. She's still at it. She's still occupying this space. And as many of you know, she was married to Lou Reed. And as many of us, you know, tried to wrap our brain around that. If you were a big Lou fan and you were a big Lori fan, you were like, what is that about? I mean obviously I'm not going to get into that because Lou was Lou, but I was certainly honored and excited to talk to her. She's actually here promoting a book uh, that she just put together of Lou's writing on tai chi and other meditative practices. That was he was plan- he was, I guess he had been writing for years and never got it all together. Well, that's what she's out doing is talking about this book it's called "The Art of the Straight Line," my Tai Chi by Lou Reed. Uh, so she's here, yeah, you because know, she is the uh, the executor, I guess, or the yeah. I mean, she's I think she's got the Lou Reed stuff. I mean, she did a deal with Light in the Attic Records, and they did some demo stuff from the late sixties, early seventies that was just exciting. But as an artist on her own, man, just mind blowing. Just it, she was one of the. One of the creative people that wired my brain. And you're going to find out some interesting stuff about her on this episode. Stuff that I couldn't believe and didn't really know. We've talked to other people who were around New York in that time, you know, early in the 70s, where it was just a free-for-all. It it almost feels like it was some sort of artist compound in uh, Tribeca and and the Lower East Side and and just Lower Manhattan. But it kind of was. I mean, it's hard to picture New York as just this vacated, you know, dumpster fire. But that's where all that stuff sort of came up and there was a real community to it. And I've talked to other people who've grown up in that community, some people who who created it. You know, Kim Gordon was on this show, but it was thrilling to talk to her. Uh I have a favor to ask you people, if you go to the episode description of this show on whatever app you're using right now, we have a link there that says take the new WTF listener survey. It's a quick survey and it will help us make decisions that better serve you, the listeners. This is really the best way for us to know what works and what doesn't for our audience. So it would be a real big help to us if you just do it. It'll take about five to seven minutes. You can do it while you're listening. Just scroll to the episode description and click take the new WTF survey. And while you're in the episode description, if you want to send a question for our next Ask Mark Anything episode, there's a link for that too. Okay. All right. So I don't know why, but I mean, stuff comes and goes and there's a lot of stuff out there that I miss, but there's some stuff that not unlike any other sucker in this fucking world, I develop opinions about based on nothing, on nothing. And for some reason, I dismissed the film Amsterdam, the David O. Russell movie. I just was like, I I just kind of didn't get to it. I got to Babylon, which was garbage, but I didn't get to to David O. Russell's Amsterdam. And I I don't know what why. why? I didn't hear about it. I didn't talk to anybody about it. But then I, I start to realize, like, who do I really fucking talk to? Who's in my social circle? I got Kit. I got Jerry. I got Brendan. I got a few people. I got the people that come in and out of here for specific reasons. But, like, there is no sort of cultural momentum. If there isn't any cultural momentum around things in the world that I occupy, in the space that I occupy culturally... I don't know. It just just got kind of dismissed. It just went by the wayside. A David O. Russell movie with fucking Christian Bale. And I just let it go by the wayside until I was on an airplane two days ago. And uh, I was like, all right, well, let's just figure out why this is so terrible. And I watched Amsterdam, and it's kind of a little masterpiece. It's a socially relevant, complex film with complex characters about real stuff. It's a period piece that explores the beginning of American Nazi sympathizers. It also explores the arts of that time and what it, was, what it meant to live an artist's life. It also explores uh, biracial relationships at a time in this country where they were illegal I mean, it takes place in between the two world wars. It deals with the sort of grotesque result of war. And, and all these characters is a, a sort of slightly comedic bent to them. But this, it deals with eugenics. It deals with the, uh, the corporate supporters of fascism. I mean, and it's, it's all done in kind of a perky, rompy way with these amazing performances by all of the actors in it. And I think I'm going to talk about it more specifically, maybe in some bonus content. But I'm going to start looking around for more movies. It's like that movie I talked about with Tim Blake Nilsen that he was in. That It just seems like, did anyone see them? I mean, everyone was yammering on about Babylon, which is garbage. And and no one talked about Amsterdam, which was kind of a masterpiece. In the same way I will defend Hail Caesar as one of the great Coen Brothers movies, I will defend... Amsterdam is one of the great David O. Russell movies. Probably the best one he's done since Silver Linings Playbook. I'm putting that out there and I'm not trying to kiss his ass. I I wouldn't mind having him on the show, but these guys, some of them just never come. They never come to the show. I invite them, they don't come. I'm not a miracle worker. I can't force people. So I took this job. I took a job on a little part in a movie for Peacock called Bernard and the Genie. And uh, it's a Christmas movie. Um, and I took the job because it seemed fun. It seemed easy. It would allow me to, to make something out of nothing in a way and to just be funny. And Melissa McCarthy's in it. And I, I most, I did a few scenes with her, but there was a lot of scenes with Papa Izidu. I, am not sure how you pronounce his last name, but he was in, I may destroy you. Um, but he was great. But the, but just hanging out with Melissa McCarthy to do these scenes. And there wasn't much on the page. Uh, I play a door guy in this building. Um, I, I guess because it's a remake, I, I, I'm not tipping anything. It's about a guy who is having trouble uh, because he's working too much and his wife and small door- daughter uh, get annoyed and uh, and they... Um, They, they. he's having marital problems. So a series of events happens and he summons a genie. And that genie is Melissa McCarthy. And I'm the door guy in this building. And me and Melissa develop a relationship over these four or five scenes I have. But just to be on set with her, and I've talked to her in here, but we just connected. And it was fun. She is one of the funniest fucking people in the world, like ever, just effortlessly funny. So I found myself just kind of hanging out, just waiting to laugh. You know, and I'm doing scenes with her and we're just riffing and we built out this character a little bit. And uh, I'm just improvising uh, with Melissa McCarthy. And I don't know. I was pretty casual about it. I, I definitely, you know, see the, you know, she's just another funny person. But you're on set and you're doing this stuff. I had a good time. I had fun. Uh, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy just being goofy, just being funny and riffing with Melissa McCarthy. I don't know why it takes me so much just to be like, I had a good time, man. And it's like, I can be funny. I have to assume I'm a funny person. I've been doing it for a long time, but it's just nice to be able to unleash it a little bit and then to do it in in a kind of symbiotic riffy kind of way with Melissa McCarthy Come on, man. How fucking great is that? Did I ever assume that would happen for me? No. So it's, it's not a huge part, but it was a fun part. It was fun to be in New York for a few days. It was fun to wear doorman's outfit. And it was fun to, uh, to just be on set again. The guy Sam Boyd's directing it. He's a fan of this show. He pulled me in. And he's like, come on, let's just do, you know, let's see what happens on set. And I'm like, okay, man. Had a lot of ideas. Put them all out there. We'll see what makes the cut. We'll see. But either way, good times. Three days, New York City, stayed at the fancy hotel, had a nice time, ate some okay food, hung out with my buddy Sam Lipsight for a day. Basically just, uh, you know, it was kind of weird. The, I, the entire spectrum of weather happened when I was in New York. It rained. It snowed. It got nice. It got windy. It was all there. So, as I said before, Laurie Anderson had a profound impact on my life. Just hearing her in my headset while I talked to her was kind of mind-blowing. It happens sometimes on this show. And you'll be surprised. She mentions a comic icon in a very personal way that she had a relationship with. And I was sort of like, holy shit, what? But uh, she's here ostensibly, to talk about The Art of the Straight Line, My Tai Chi by Lou Reed, which is a book that's available now wherever you get your books. Laurie is one of the editors. I think she wrangled the whole thing to get it out, which Lou didn't manage to do while he was alive. So this is me talking to Laurie Anderson. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Well, for me, honestly... It's my stereo system. For years, I've wanted this stereo system. And then at some point, I realized, like, hey, you're saving money. Buy it. So I got a pretty top-of-the-line tube-driven stereo system. It has changed my life. It's not only great for listening to music. It's great for me to sit there with my guitar while I jam or just rock out. Because when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things, just like the all-new Lexus GX. It has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select system for off-road driving any of these options will help you take your Lexus GX to the limit, just like I did with my stereo system. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Yeah, plans for the apocalypse. What do you got?
2: Well, um, I've been spending... Uh... About a year going to different places yeah. to see what where might be a good place.
1: <laughs> to stay above? The,
2: Iceland uh, is one. Uh-huh. Greece is another.
1: Greece? Yeah. Portugal's too crowded with Americans. I, would, I don't know that I... yeah. People talk about that, like you can buy your way into Portugal. Yeah, you can. But I, I don't speak Portuguese, and I'd feel... How you would don't you need not? to. You don't need to. Oh, really?
2: You know, I have this hobby just shopping for sheep farms, yeah. which I used to do in the <laughs> 90s. When I was on tour, it was... Uh, it was like a Sunday and yeah. you're not playing. Yeah. What
1: do you do? You shop for sheep farms?
2: Well, yeah. You go to the local real estate place and say, you know, are there any sheep farms around? I mean, I have no interest in sheep, really. Yeah. I just wanted to go driving around with a real estate person. So in <laughs> Portugal, in 92, <'92, laughs> I was there and I saw, I was flipping through a brochure, a real estate brochure and said, sheep farms. And, yeah. um Well, actually, uh it said actually ten acres, more or less ten acres. That's 10 a lot of land. For uh, two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. So I called up the agent. And I said, "That's a typo, right?" right. And, and they said, "Yeah, it is. It's eighteen hundred dollars." So I thought I should buy a sheep farm for all my friends. Did you? No. What a mistake! I know <laughs> there was yeah. no water there. But you know what? It was so beautiful. It was like um, it was like New Mexico, which is my favorite kind of landscape.
1: I grew up there. You did? Lucky you, yeah. magic. It is magic.
2: Huge sky, all sky.
1: Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. go, where do you spend time when you go to New Mexico?
2: Well, I haven't been there so much. Yeah. But, um, you know, some friends have, you know, around Taos. Sure. Oh, yeah, so, Taos. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. But, um, uh,
1: So back to uh, Portugal, the sheep Back farm. to
2: Portugal. So, um, there was no water. Yeah. And no electricity. Yeah. But, you know, you could, Bring a truck in with some water. How generator. Yeah, generator's call. Yeah, But it was like New Mexico on the ocean, so red dirt and yeah. cactus yeah. and pine
1: trees right. on the Atlantic. So that was the plan. But like now, I just think like just Canada. Eh. No. Well, it's warmer there now. Well, I just find that I used to find it boring, but now I find it relaxing.
2: Boring is relaxing. <laughs>
1: These (laughs) days, yeah, right, (laughs) yeah, and I just know that if I go anywhere outside of this country within seconds, I'm like,
2: oh my god,
1: it's not here, yeah, whatever it is.
2: You know, what do they think of this these days? I mean, like, must be like living over a crack house or something. Oh,
1: definitely, like, they're just going on down there, yeah. How is this happening? How could it be? Yeah, um, but they're kind of used to that, I think, I guess, but to this degree, and it's creeping, you know, like, because the whatever the psychic malignancy is. It's, Does it creep
2: over the border? A
1: little bit. Really? Yeah, I mean, in factions, but you don't feel it, uh, I, I think, uh, I don't feel uh, it until I get or... up
2: to Montreal. I mean, Toronto, I feel the creep.
1: You do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. right across. Sure, right. And really it, it, it looks. It feels a little more American there. I, I don't know what the plan is. I just need water, and I don't want to... Uh, I've been recently thinking about these people that want to survive the apocalypse, and I don't understand why.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: like I have a friend who's hurt, hurt. She she um, clones extinct animals. Now that, that really yeah, that's her. And company. she's a,
1: oh, that oh, and they're doing that. They are. And ha- have yeah. they had and, success?
2: Well, yes, they have. And they're working on ferrets at the moment.
1: Are ferrets extinct?
2: They're going extinct. Certain certain ones of them. Uh-huh. And and so, they're they're uh, cloning them to bring them back. But, you know. For the big ones, like a woolly mammoth, yeah. what are you going to bring it back for? Just to stand in a lab and go, I'm a woolly mammoth. We so did extinct. it. Yeah, yeah. look Do, at that thing. Yeah. None of his friends are there, yeah. nothing to eat.
1: Oh, it'd be so sad. It's the saddest story. Yeah. It's a children's I, book that can't end well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> children's books don't end well, generally. You know, if you yeah. listen to lullabies, you know, yeah. You know, um, Lorko, uh, Garcia Lorko, yeah Garcia Lorca, beautiful guitar player, yeah. and, you know, anyway, um, wrote about, Lullabies, and he said, You know, they are not comforting. These are mothers passing on some urgent, dark messages to their children. Rockabye baby in the trade, yeah, yeah, when the bow breaks, the the cradle cradle will fall.
1: yeah, yeah, down come baby, <laughs> cradle
2: and all. you know,
1: yeah, good night,
2: good night, twinkle, twinkle, <laughs> little star, too. And yeah, in you know, I just learned the second verse of that thing,
1: yeah, uh,
2: when the blazing sun is gone, yeah, when there's nothing. To shine upon,
1: yeah, twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> it goes on from there. So we've we've all been prepared. It's not just religion. It's it's fairy tales yeah, and children's songs.
2: Yeah, our mother sang us this song. They were kind of trying to get us ready in a subtle way. Did your mother sing that song? No, she did not. <laughs> my <laughs> my mother not
1: did not sing anything.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How come? What does she do? My mother. Yeah, uh, she was Singing involved.
1: Uh, no, she was uh, very self-involved. So there okay. was. Uh, this sort of like, you know... Telling stories to herself. I don't know what she was doing, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it, she was very concerned about her appearance. Okay. That was her job.
2: Did she look good?
1: Yeah, she looked great. Well, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> How about you? Do you what, what did your mother do?
2: Oh, she had too many kids. I, I was just lost in the crowd. She How had, many? She had eight. So wow. I was, I was number two, and, uh, you know...
1: Um, was that Catholic?
2: No. That's the just, first question everyone asks, is it Catholic? No, yeah. Other people... Uh, she should have been a CEO.
1: Yeah, of something. Of, of, of a children. Well, she was a CEO. of <laughs> Children. That's
2: what she decided on. It was, a, it was a, um, a, a long on down the list, but she she did that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you have all these siblings around still, or? Yeah,
2: they're around. They're really? doing different stuff. Yeah.
1: And you get along with most of them.
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah there's always one that's you know. Yeah. And that one changes a little bit. You know. So oh really? It comes and goes. Yeah, uh, but uh, no. Basically, you know, you're friends with all these people for life. That's really nice.
1: Well, and you were the middle. I
2: was number two. What oh, about so, you? Did you have any sibs?
1: Young Younger uh, brother, uh-huh. two and a half years. Very similar, uh, a little different, but uh, we yeah.
2: Are you competitive?
1: No, we're not competitive. And I, Wonderful. And I, yeah. Good for you. Yeah, he uh, he he was more athletic, and then I I went okay. the art way. He went oh, the athletic. Perfect. way. Perfect, divided yeah, so. up. Yeah. Sure. Right when I <laughs> right when he beat me the first time he beat me, I'm like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm the artist here. Right, I'm gonna go uh, figure out what uh, you know what 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 Kerouac was talking about. Oh, did you figure that out? Not really. I think I romanticized. It. I mean, I'm I'm 59, so I, I came in kind of late. You know, so um, they were they were all several generations back, but I like the idea of all of them. Yeah, to the point where I think I had the first album of yours. I had was that one. You're the man I want to spend the rest of my. You had that. Well, I have the album with you really? and Burrows and Burroughs?
3: Burroughs and,
2: I've
1: been sure to. <laughs> yes, like I like it was one. Of you're those, the
2: guy I want to share my money with. You're the
1: guy I want to share my money with. Yeah, yeah. And I just uh, I I became sort of obsessed with Burroughs. Yeah, and then you were on there. Yeah, and that was before you even made a record.
2: Yeah, I was hanging out with uh, those guys.
1: You were, yeah. But like, you were there in New York at the time where everything started to uh, to happen.
2: Oh, things were happening before I came. <laughs> yeah, <along. laughs> but
1: but I mean that wave of like late sixties, seventies. That was weirdo cool. art.
2: That was cool. It was a really, really, really nice time
1: to be Could, an artist. When did you did you where did you come from before that? Chicago. You were going to school there. Yeah. And you grew up there. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, big
2: Skyland. Also. Yeah. Also like New Mexico.
1: Yeah. So you get to New York and, like, what's happening is before it fell apart, right?
2: Yeah. It was falling apart.
1: It's always falling apart. But, like, didn't the 70s really kind of crash out and, like...
2: Yeah. um, Ford to New York City dropped dead was the headline.
1: That was it. Yeah. (laughs) And everyone was getting, like, lofts in, uh, you know, Tribeca for a nickel.
2: It didn't cost a nickel. It was free. (laughs) It was, you know, that's what we did. You just squatted and took it? We Yeah. Pretty much. And then we we had, speaking of no water, we had no water. It's yeah. hard to live with no water in New York City.
1: When where, What year are we talking?
2: 74.
1: Uh-huh. But you got there earlier.
2: Uh, I got there in to go to Barnard
1: yeah.
2: in 67. Yeah. Okay. In the and late you... 60s. And so it was really... Um, the 60s really kind of rolled into the 70s in a lot of ways in terms of people helping each other uh-huh. and being sort of like um, communal and this kind of still sort of spiritual. Um, like
1: just post-hippie kind of thing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was. yeah, the, there's still a few hippies around there. Sure. Yeah. But,
1: but I mean like there, I mean I imagine it was mostly focused on the war in the late 60s in terms of the youth culture and then it kind of shifted. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> yeah, the war was part of it. Yeah. But love was part of it. Did, was it? Yeah. And you yeah. felt it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and and just um, being part of a group also. Yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah. And you could call somebody up and go, hey, I, I got to get my floor sanded. Could you guys come over? And, and people would come over for three days and sand your floor. <laughs> and you're like, we could try that today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, There are plenty of sanding companies you you could try. I mean, I'm like, I don't have five minutes. I'm so
1: busy. Right. But it was just something. It was a communal vibe. Yeah. And and these were other artists and whatnot? Yeah. Artists,
2: musicians. We all did a little bit of everything. We all had pickup trucks. uh, Really? In the city? Yeah. In the city because the city was dark, kind of deserted. Uh You needed a truck.
1: And this was way way downtown kind yeah. of deal.
2: Yeah. So dark.
1: dark yeah. Dark. Dark. <laughs> really.
2: One restaurant <laughs> called Food.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was it good?
2: Mm, do you like stuff like um, uh-huh. hard-boiled eggs with little tiny um, amoebas swimming in the in the um, oil?
1: Amoebas on purpose? Yeah. No, I yeah, don't know what that is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, what was the what was the uh, angle? I mean, what the was the
2: angle? Was you know, um, uh, was it supposed um, to be
1: healthy or just
2: yeah, like living, eating, living stuff. Oh yeah, green stuff,
1: uh-huh. fishy stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what
2: we were, doing. We we're just trying to make up weird things to eat.
1: But who was the crew down there at the beginning?
2: Um, Phil Glass, Trisha Brown, Gordon Manna Clark. He was the ringleader yeah. of everything. Richard Nonis. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of just really great people.
1: I just, it's so, uh, to me, that that period is so amazing because there were such u- unique artists that never happened before, really. I mean, Philip Glass, you, but I guess it's all before uh, the Worcester Group and all that stuff, right? They were, they were cranking up around. Right. Then. Mm-hmm. So Spalding you, yeah. was around. Yeah. And I can't imagine everybody as young people just feeling it out.
2: Well... Reel it back, you know. Yeah. Like reel back to your own life as a kid. And
1: I guess you had space, too, because if it, if it was that deserted and that weird in New York was this sort of, you know, wild west frontier. You could also get shot, though. So sure.
2: So it wasn't all a party.
1: Yeah. And also, also like, it seems to me that from the beginning, despite uh, the intention of art, that, you know, comedy was always sort of part of what you were doing.
2: <laughs> well, I, you know, I was a uh, straight Straight man for Andy oh, Kaufman yeah. for a while How did that, that was really fun well, where'd you meet him? A friend of mine said, and this was also like right around that time she said, there's this guy you got to go out to queens to to this comedy seventies yeah, comedy club early seventies yeah and and uh you got to check him out he's yeah, so I went to this club and Really squalid little place. It was like.
1: Yeah. Uh, was it like Pips or something? I do well, I, 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 It probably didn't even have a name.
2: Um,
1: it probably had a name, but it was in Queens. It wasn't even a comedy. It was okay. just a club. It was okay, like a, right. You know,
2: and um, so there was a guy playing yeah. bongos. Yeah. In this in this place, <laughs> uh-huh. and he, uh, he, it was a really long set. Yeah. And bongos, you know, I don't know. They get a little tiring after a couple of minutes. <laughs> Just solo bongos. Solo bongo. Yeah. But then, as he's playing these bongos, he hit about maybe four different bongos, yeah. different pitches, and, right. and bongo, bongo, bongo. Okay? Yeah. And as he's playing, he's he's his head sort of falls, and he and some tears start rolling down his cheeks, and he starts crying, and then he's playing a little faster, and he yeah. starts crying, and then he's sobbing, and then he's like, <laughs> sobbing. So, and everyone in the club was like, what the hell?
1: What's wrong with this guy? Yeah.
2: And I was like, this is the greatest guy ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funniest thing I have ever seen. Yeah. So I just said, who are you? Right. And um, so I, I, I did some stuff with, with him. Yeah. I would go to Coney Island and, you know, we would do stuff like stand around um, that, that test your strength thing yeah. with that sledgehammer. Yeah, right. and you hit it in the the... Um, the uh, Meter goes up to yeah. like, and he, so he would, and we'd stand around. He'd make fun of people who yeah. were doing it, like, "What a god!" Ah, I thought it. And he'd Provoke him. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm supposed to like, Andy, could you get me a bear? <laughs> and um, he's yeah. So they, finally, these guys get really sick of him and go, "Okay, okay, pal, you you give it a try." Right. So he boom, you know, and it goes up, like not even one. Degree and yeah. the try again weakling level, yeah, right? And he's going. I want to see the manager. This is fixed. I, this is an outrage. <laughs> so Then we have to go see the manager. Anyway, yeah, it, it was it was just so much fun. And he was a real genius. He was really a genius. He just did all of these projects like and that. This
1: is before anyone knew him. Like it's before he really started doing. Oh yeah, doing it. oh yeah.
2: This was. I don't.
1: But was he part of? The scene, or he's just this weirdo who lived in Queens. I mean, did you? Well, the scene. What was the? There wasn't a scene really. There, but it was like these the, were
2: experiments, so, right? And okay, so then eventually we did do stuff in some real, like a comedy club, uh-huh. yeah. And that would be uh, so. Other things were just things like we would go to also rides at Coney Island, you know, the one with the centrifugal force and everyone, the sure. bottom drops out. the off. Tilt-A-Whirl or yeah, <laughs> yeah, it might be called Tilt-A-Whirl. Mm. Anyway, so just as people are getting strapped yeah. in, he'd just go, I, I'm not confident about this ride. <laughs> and I, I, I really have a very, very, very bad feeling <laughs> about the, the ride. And, um, <laughs> and everyone's starting to sweat and they and they, they, they stop it, you know, because yeah. everyone's freaking Freak out. out. <laughs> And other other things, we would go to Madison Square Garden. Uh, yeah. And um, this was before there were metal detectors or anything. You would sure. just show your tickets when you got inside. Yeah. So he had no tickets. So he, he right. would just go tell the usher. Um, we would sit down, ring, you know, just, just um, courtside. To, For, basketball yeah, games yeah. or wrestling things. Yeah. You know, just down, down, right where the action was, first yeah. row. Yeah. And they'd come and go, tickets, please. And he'd go, oh, I, I just have a, an and. A piece of paper because a guy on the street sold me for two hundred dollars ringside tickets. He said I could sit here ringside, and my guy is going. You just paid two hundred dollars. Yeah, I've just paid two hundred dollars. You just get this guy to pity him and. You let him stay there. Yeah, we said that.
1: And did um, and you go to wrestling too?
2: Well, what would what we did in clubs was. Um, he would part of then he, then he just started developing his act. Right. He was also writing this really beautiful book which i i, I don't know what happened to because he would come over and read it to me. What was it? A novel? A really? crazy crazy novel?
1: I, how old was he when how old were you guys? Like 21, oh, 22 20s in
2: the 20s, Yeah. you know, something like that. And um so then um he got these things in clubs and yeah. then he would just stand around saying Women just, you know, I I just don't respect them. You know, I, I just have to say, I mean, yeah. on a physical level, let's say too. You know, because I'll I'll respect a woman when when she um, when she can come up here and wrestle me down, and that was my
3: cue. Yeah,
2: to come up and. Or a, hey, I'll take you on you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting there in the club just trembling, <laughs> drinking four whiskeys in a row, just right. yeah. I have to do this. Yeah. He would really fight too. <laughs> really? Yeah. He wasn't just I mean, he wasn't gonna kill me, but he was really <laughs> right. twisting
1: my arm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He didn't show you any wrestling moves. <laughs> uh, I knew a few moves. You know. So yeah. you guys were friends for a while, huh? Yeah, we were. And did you I loved him. I loved Andy. Yeah, I, well, it's interesting to talk to somebody that knew him before he became what everyone else knows him as, whether as a comic or as an actor. I mean, you knew him when he was basically just starting this weird stuff.
2: He was dangerous.
1: Yeah. And do you do you think that his sort of courage around that stuff influenced you?
2: Uh yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean yeah. I, I I was that that was that was crack for me. I was like, yeah, who, who are you? <laughs> it's just this is like, yeah, you yeah. did some really great stuff. So, yeah. And did you stay in touch with him? No, I didn't. Once he started doing TV stuff, yeah. I, I was kind of like, no, 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 come on. Oh, really? No, I didn't yeah. like that stuff.
1: Really? Well, Not really. Well, what I didn't was think it
2: was funny, you know. It was kind of... Kind of a, it, it became such a sort yeah. of shtick. And right. It, it, I was like, all right. Like the laska
1: stuff? Or the... Yeah, you know.
2: I mean, it was sort of charming, I guess, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like.
1: Menacing. Oh, I like the menace. <laughs> yeah. So wh- who'd you lock on to after that?
2: Uh, I just got to do a scene of, um, you know, downtown music. Yeah. I don't know. We, we, I guess we, at some point, everyone was calling what they did an opera. Uh huh. For lack of a better word, <laughs> yeah. you go down the street and you go, "Hey, how's your opera going?" The Fine, opera. mine too. Yeah,
1: okay. You know, none of us were making actually operas, <laughs> yeah. you know, but we're just. What was your first big performance piece?
2: Um, let's see,
1: big. Oh, well, I mean, well, I, it, it, like
2: I did a lot of stuff in in uh, in lofts. That's yeah. where I, where I got my thing going. Yeah, for uh, for, for a few for, people. For for yeah, for you know. Uh, eight people yeah. in a loft.
1: Important know. stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was just uh, stories. Yeah, yeah, and And uh, standing in front of film. I was uh-huh. doing like film concerts sort of Yeah, thing.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's sort of an evolution of like uh, that 60s thing. You know, I, the I mean, I still kind of do thing. that.
2: Yeah. It's, I just came from a... Well, actually, I didn't... That wasn't a show like that. I just... Uh, on the way out here, went to Kansas City. Wow, what a beautiful place! Played, yeah. played with an orchestra there. Uh, on, on a did wrote a, a thing for orchestra yeah. about Amelia Earhart. Really? Yeah, because um, and when I and I hadn't been in Kansas in a long time, and I realized I yeah, I could see why she wanted to fly. Because yeah. that's the only direction there.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. <laughs> oh, she's from there, huh?
2: Yeah, Atchison. Kansas. So, yeah.
1: So you, you had the—you were asked to do this—if you were interested in doing a project with this orchestra, and you did some research and were inspired to do it about Amelia Earhart? Kind of, or he, kind of like that, yeah. Yeah.
2: This conductor asked me to do something, and and uh-huh. and um, and I thought, orchestration, how hard could it be? So I orchestrated this thing for a giant orchestra. And, you know, I mean, it's an art form. Sure. That I didn't know anything about, so— um, they played the piece, and this—the first time this was ever played was like twenty-three years ago yeah. in New York. They played it in Carnegie Hall, and big orchestra, yeah. And the conductor, uh, and and you have no chance to revise it because they play it through, yeah. and the next night is the world premiere. So you're like, yeah. it better be good. So right. So sitting there, he plays this piece, and it is the worst thing I have ever heard in my life. The bassoons are doing what the cellos should do. I yeah. just—it was chaos. You didn't know. Well, no, it was, I, I did know. It was the worst thing I've ever heard. Right.
3: So,
1: yeah. so
2: the conductor turns around. And he goes, "How was that?" And I was like, "Um." He says, "Faster, yeah, yeah, faster mm-hmm. would be good. We all over sooner, you know." <laughs> <the> next, <laughs> yeah. but then I learned something really crazy the next night. They play a, a lot about music and audiences. Yeah, they played this thing. It sounded just as bad as it had the night before right but people were like applauding yeah as if they'd heard actual music huh you know yeah and i thought whoa you know maybe they thought it was supposed to be chaotic that's what she wanted Sure. you know lots of chaos lots of craziness yeah so that oh okay that's that's um that's a wild thing to learn
1: that audiences don't understand and, and they they if they're seeing art they'll the and, and they're interested in it there's a they're it, pretty open minded they are because they they, there's nothing to compare it to
3: yeah
2: so yeah.
1: they're they're just sort of, oh, sorry it's all right
3: yeah
2: that yeah also another nice thing to know and people performers forget this is people want you to succeed <laughs> yeah and not just out of generosity. No,
3: but want they want to be
2: at a, they want to be at a cool thing. They yeah. want to tell okay. their friends I just saw the greatest thing right, last night. Right. Uh, sorry you missed it, but right. it was really great. You know, um so they they're kind of rooting for you. And they don't want
1: to be witness to, you know, uh, a
2: debacle. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but that
1: was that's the interesting thing about Andy is that he wanted That he wanted them to feel that. Well, that was his success. Right? Yeah. It's kind of it, it's kind of wild that in order to appreciate him you've got to you know be in this zone of discomfort. Yeah. And uh, uh and then he succeeded.
2: Yeah, he really did. I mean and and touching people that way is amazing just to just to feel um failure. Yeah. You know, and that's what was so genius about Bob Dylan. Yeah. I and mean, he was the first guy who wrote about losers. Yeah. You know, yeah. and romanticized losers, yeah. and we're all losers. So you <laughs> yeah. know, we're like, okay, I can, I get that. Yeah, how great to have something about loss. Yeah. And I, so, so Andy, that was built into Andy's thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Failure. Yeah. loss Yeah.
2: Humiliation. Yes. Shame.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, welcome to the human race. Right. All this stuff we try to hide. Yeah. yeah. So, w- when you decided to. To sort of live the life of of an artist and like wh- wh- what drove you because you studied it, right? I mean, you studied art history, right?
2: yeah, but only because they, they thought it was too messy to do real stuff, right? <laughs> you know, let's talk about it instead of do it was what, what but they did, did you school but then I went to I, I, then I, I I went to school uh, to um I got my MFA in sculpture, so. I was doing.
1: But was that too confining? These other modes.
2: Well, the, it, it. I got kicked out several oh. times. Yeah. Uh, because I wasn't doing welded things. Yes. I said, Sculpture is about welding. I was yeah. like, really? <laughs>
1: you don't want to weld?
2: Well, I did want to weld, yeah. but not. There were other things to do in sure. addition yeah. to welding.
1: I think Dylan's welding now.
2: That's great.
1: Yes. Yeah. He makes weld large. Spr- yeah. Found. Metal object sculptures,
2: beautiful. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> well, there's something, something very healing about welding. Just sticking it all together. Sure, and the flames, melting the flames. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah it's, uh, it's just to see little Bob Dylan thinking of him welding is pretty great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone should have two or three things that they do, and music at least. Yeah. I. What are your three?
2: Um, tai chi
1: is, well, is a big what...
2: one. Tai chi is a big one, and um, uh. Let's see. Uh,
1: that's, uh... uh and music. Music. I like music. I like painting a lot. Do you, did I see some of your paintings up at Mass Mocha? Was that, was that a, a thing out in Western Mass? You know, that big art museum? Did you have a yes. room out there?
2: I have a room
1: there for 15 years. Yes. have so. there forever.
2: So, they have right now, they have some VR stuff that I did.
1: Right. But there were some and big paintings, weren't there? For a while. Yeah, yeah. I saw those. Those mm-hmm. are great.
2: Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, there, oh yeah there are pictures oh, the of vr my, stuff yeah, yeah vr and now there's some um, uh, some stories
1: okay sort of thing so you, so they just gave you a room and you uh, and you just kind of fill it up every few, every few years before? yeah
2: yeah it's crazy sort of gig
1: what it was like, isn't that a crazy space
2: I love it. I love old factories that turn oh, into something God. else. It's really nice, it's and it's huge. cool for Western Mask, too because oh, yeah. there, it, it's a whole scene there now.
1: I definitely, uh, when I uh, drive, I, I'll go out there if I got a gig yeah. out there or somewhere around there because yeah. it's—I've never seen anything like it. And yeah. when artists choose to fill that big hall yeah. with an installation, it's like that is nuts. Yeah, man.
2: yeah.
1: What an or- undertaking. Yeah. So, well, the Tai Chi. I mean, I—I I know you're here you know, promoting this book. What's interesting about the book, which is uh, The Art of the Straight Line, My Tai Chi, the uh, Lou Reed book, is that with both of you, you know, like when I – I started listening to the old records of yours, like which I listened to in high school and, you know, maybe I haven't listened to in a long time. But there's something about your voice and your tone that, you know, right when you put it on, you know, I'm like, oh, I you know I know what this is. <laughs> it's Laurie Anderson. And, you know, I'm going to be here now like because it's part of my wiring. You are. Whoa. And and Lewis too, you know, yeah. because I listen to all that stuff. And I, I guess you had something to do with the Light like, in the Attic release of those yeah. demos. Yeah. which so are So
2: beautiful, right?
1: It's yeah. wild because there's a couple on there. It's like, you know, he's literally trying to be Dylan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and a folk singer, too. Exactly. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. There's harmonica. Yeah. And, like, it's so... Cute. <laughs> it's
2: adorable. Yeah. He's in his parents' basement. You know, kind of going, Words and Music by Lou Reed. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Was he in his parents' basement? No, actually not. But, oh. but he um he was in a studio. But a lot of the stuff he did in, in the in the basement. He was a he was a kid, but all these early versions of stuff, um, uh there were just some wild ones. Yeah. Which is, um uh let's see, what's the first cut on that? I, I can't remember it right now. Um uh, anyway, it's, yeah. it's a song that went through a lot of changes. Yeah, as many of them did because there's there's a song "Perfect Day" that was he did an early version of which was it's such a summer day. Right. I want to spend it with you. You
1: know. And it's al- yeah, it's always wild to hear what they've become and how yeah. much better they become. But but I mean I guess like I talked to Jackson Brown. Once about Lou and about, you know, Jackson Brown being in New York for a minute and, and writing that song that Nico did. And, but oh, he yeah. said he said Lou Reed took him to a Murray the K show. So there's this whole element <laughs> of Lou that really wanted to be this pop singer, you know, songwriter. Right.
2: And a soul singer and and uh, James Joyce. Uh, he wanted to be a lot of things.
1: Yeah. And you were you guys were together starting like 2008. No, 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 we got
2: married in 2008. We were together for 21 years, from starting in 1992.
1: That's crazy, yeah. right?
2: We just got married for uh, as a sort of fluke. It's oh, yeah? Like, you know, yeah. M- Most of us, I was walking along the road somewhere, I think California. Yeah. And, and I was talking to him, and I was saying, you know, I just, there's so many things I didn't do in my life. I was going to, like, learn German. I was going to learn physics. <laughs> yeah. And, I, I guess I thought I'd get married and go, yeah. let's get married. He's yeah. like, oh, he said, how about tomorrow? I was right. Like, He'd asked me to marry him many times. So I was like, I'm not into it. Yeah. But then at this point, I was thinking, okay, so we got married the next day. Where? Here? No, we in, got married in uh, Boulder. I had a show in Boulder uh-huh. the next day, and he, he came and he sang in the show, and we got married.
1: That's was, that's nice. Was it? It
2: was really nice. Yeah, it was. It was really nice. Yeah.
1: But I guess the the where I was going with the with the idea was that, like, you know, I all of us who have who are fans of you or fans of you know, you have you know, you have your I have my perception of whatever your life is very limited. You know, it's limited to some records and a few things I read. And you you know, doing a thing in you know Stockholm or whatever it is, you know, it's it's a perception. And then this thing about Luke, like I didn't know anything about. Lu and Tai Chi?
2: You know, it's wild. He is known in China as a Tai Chi master, not as a musician.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Okay, not as a musician. So he he's, um, he's a really, really complicated person. Yeah. And um, Tai Chi was, was something that, that he began, well, he began with martial arts yeah. in, like, the 70s. And right. we also just found a song. Bought Tai Chi yeah. from then. Yeah. So it was always, martial arts was always a big part of his life. And
1: did it save his life?
2: Well, he died.
1: Why I know. Well, everyone's going to do that. Yeah. But I mean, but at the time in the 70s, I mean, like he was.
2: No, I think it, what saved his life was was drugs at that point. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. Just white light, you know. Well, he wanted, right. He wanted to see the light somehow. Yeah. He wanted magic somehow. So it was. Drugs. Then it was music. Later it was tai chi all the time.
1: Right. Oh, you know, so he was still doing drugs when he started tai chi.
2: Yeah, he was, and he wasn't doing very well at, at in tai either. chi because no, he was doing pretty Fire good in drug. drugs. Yeah, but um, yeah. martial arts is is a, and especially the the kind he did was when I met him, he was doing a more yang style, which is more uh, kind of. Uh, almost circusy moves. Yeah, you know, you'd be like do, doing scissor kicks and uh-huh. swords and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" And and then um, I, you know, you don't want to do everything your partner does. Yeah. So I like Tai Chi. So I found another guy to yeah. study with, Master Ren Guangyi, uh, Push Hands champion of China. Yeah. So anyway, I said, uh my teacher is better than yours, so you got to come over here and check yeah. it out. So they did, and then I I became like a a third wheel, and I had to like <laughs> really like they, yeah they just glued to each other. They it was really great. They became brothers, and um, Chen style is a really much more um, a fighting form. Uh-huh. So I think that appealed to Lu a lot. You know that it was like uh, ritual fighting. Well, he, so there's many many moves like a very very slow beautiful. Slow motion slice of the right arm through the air. Yeah, and you see old Chinese ladies doing in the park. Yeah, what is that?
1: Decapitation. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, this <laughs> is like no, no mistake. It's a, it's a killing art form.
1: Well, uh, let me ask you because like you know, I started going through the book and you know, there's reflections you know, from Iggy, Michael Perilloi, some of the teachers, some of the other characters uh, in his life and your mm-hmm. life. And you know, I started to think like, well, is this serendipitous? Like, am I? You know, should I be doing this?
2: Well, you know what we're doing is with this, and and we can do this now if you want because I I just think uh, I, I told the the people who are publishing the book. Yeah. You know, we don't want to just be sitting around being talking heads.
3: Yeah.
2: Or so we're going to make all the things about doing it. Yeah. So if you're doing it in a, in a if in a sitting position, yeah, you you do something called standing mountain, which is. If you're listening to this, yeah. you, uh, this podcast, right? Yeah. So um, uh, just you put your arms in a circle almost yeah. out like and, and you drop your shoulders. Yeah. And it's a kind of tree hugging position, let's right. say. But we don't think of it like that. But it's right. called standing mountain. Okay. And you, you do that for as long as you can stand, maybe an hour. But let's say you're only going to do it two minutes you'll still get a lot of benefit out of two minutes because you're going to f- begin to feel the movement of chi through your body. Yeah. And, uh, and everything in Tai Chi is circles. So okay. So you're, you're, as you as your hands pass each other uh, in many of these forms, you feel this ball of energy. And, and the first time I felt that, I was like, what is that? Oh, it, it's really an amazing thing. So the title of this book, The Art of the Straight Line, what does that mean with an art form of circles to have a straight line so yeah. it, it, that was the title he came up with when he started writing this book and uh you know he never finished the book so he was uh, he was doing a lot of things and then he got very very sick so he he just kind of left all these notes for
1: us and we we're and, like and he felt this? like he this was following through with the reason you put it out was because you, you knew it was
2: to the best of our ability. We followed through. Yeah. 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 Well,
1: the the art of the straight line. He makes references to a straight line in song sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I think um, uh, some kind of love of bores, uh, yeah. I think is it's, it. He says something about a straight line in there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of tai chi image images in his music. Also, there's um, a song called Ecstasy, and he's talking about. Um, Inside the self is reeling is one of the lines. Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. What is reeling? So silk reeling is one of the basic forms of tai chi, chi, a a name for one of them, because it comes from a lot of these physical circular motions come from the spinning of a silkworm. Yeah. And then from the the way that everything turns into these... um, not spirals, really, because that has a center, um, almost
1: like yarn balls.
2: Yeah, kind of a yarn balls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: it is a little bit like that, a little bit like the spinning, and, but it is, what this comes down to yeah. is, uh, ardor. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. but I want to learn this. I want to get there. I want to see something magic. I want to really be. I want to find out what this is for. And
1: you can get there.
2: Uh, yeah. You can get there. Yeah, you can get there, and then you, then you, then you fall apart again, which is the great part, of the great lesson of this. Like, you just try it, and then you're gonna fail, and then you're gonna try it again, and it's, there's no judgment about it. It's
1: like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's and it. you, and and what you're looking for, because I mean, I you know, part of it requires imagination, right?
2: Yeah, it does. It's very much about your mind as well.
1: Yeah, in, in order to to sort of like. Um, Feel the chi. That's right. Yeah, in in a ball mm-hmm. that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think that if your mind meets, you know, uh, if your your mind meets uh, the idea, sort of midway, and then the reality can happen. Well,
2: right? the chi is inside you too. I mean, you are made of chi. So the ball is just a, an expression of, because. In many of the moves, they're made yeah. so that they—you feel the chi running down your shoulder, through your heart, and and out the other hand—and you're like, "What is that?" Really? It's like white lightning. It's like Kundalini. It's like like you had eyes and you never opened them.
1: Huh? So it's like a wow. Thing. So it's, I <laughs> I could see how this would replace the drugs once he locked into yeah. it. Yeah,
2: it's white light, white heat. Yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It
1: and it, it doesn't require syringes. Uh no. <laughs> it just hands yeah yeah, yeah it seems safer hand. somehow
2: <laughs> yeah it's a lot safer <laughs> well is it safer i don't know if it's safer drugs are safe you know you go into your little
1: cocoon and see the i guess thing, and, you know. and as long as you're, you're managing them properly but yeah. ultimately not the, i would say that the it, from what i've read in this book that you know uh, tai chi is probably better for your organs and you're it's your, it, it your is really good for that your... and
2: that and Lou died of of liver cancer and he he when I met him he said I'm going to die of liver cancer because he I, knew yeah he said because I I you know because he had hepatitis yeah. he had a lot of things yeah from drugs yeah and that you know a lot of those guys Bowie too yeah you know that that kills yeah that kills you right when I mean, you do that as a kid you're gonna you're gonna die from it yeah so he he did but he he. Really, kind of took control, and he he, um, he lived a lot longer than he would have without tai chi, without um, understand, wanting to understand his body, without wanting, you know, he wanted to live. Yeah, he wanted to live. He was he, so he did everything he could, and so this book, Art of the String, is also about all of the other things he did, like meditation yeah. and diet. And ways that you can live a little longer than... than
1: Knowing he was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, when he started this, he wasn't sick. He was just searching.
2: When he started the book, he had uh, hepatitis C. Yeah. He had
1: diabetes.
2: He had a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. He had a lot of things. Wow. And so he... But he was a fighter. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. So he was saying, that's not going to stop me. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do everything I can. I mean, he wanted the best of everything. He would like. Um, <laughs> he's know. so inspiring in that way. I'm gonna yeah. find the best sword. I'm gonna find the best briefcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna find the best bass player. I'm gonna find the best. I'm gonna really find the best.
1: But do you think that come out of uh, out of insecurity?
2: I would never try to be a psychoanalyst. Sure. You know. Yeah. And and a lot of people. He got psychoanalyzed by every journalist in the world. <laughs> that's they true were just like, because oh, he was come on.
1: confounding.
2: Well, also, you know, they were kind of you must be like so you, you must be like so messed up because he he's going um he wanted to be Baudelaire. Yeah. Rambo. Uh, yeah. You know. Well, yeah. So yeah. Going, it's called writing. I'm yes. not talking the I am talking about. Yeah, That's not me. Yeah. What do you why why do you have to decide yeah. that,
1: that that's me? It's so funny the Baudelaire uh you know that you've got like Lou was in that zone too. Oh yeah, and Patti Smith's in that zone. Oh yeah, Jim Carroll was in that zone. It's writing poetry, dark poetry about the the world and yeah, you're in that past zone. The present, um,
2: um, I'm I'm fairly dark.
1: <laughs> yeah, but but there's always a hint of of humor a lot of times.
2: Well, I find I find the apocalypse kind of funny. Yeah? Sadly. You know.
1: <laughs> and you always have?
2: No, you know, but, you know, I don't know. I I have a different view of time lately. I don't know why. Well, that,
1: well that's interesting. I do, too. I think COVID fucked time up. Big time. Big. And I can't get it back. <laughs> I know. And, and that's okay not to – did you want it back? No, because it's, it's actually – every day seems like about a week. And yes. I don't know when that happened or how it happened, but it did happen during COVID. Yeah, it did. And it reconfigured things, and I mean, we live lives. If you're living an artist's life where you're not clocking in, yeah. you know, it's nice that you've you know. We now have elongated. It's a dream.
2: Yeah, it's so wonderful, and a lot of people changed their lives. You know, I was, you know, talking to a guy the other day. He was a tech guy that uh-huh. I was working with in Kansas City. I said, "What did you do in the pandemic?" Because he was doing a lot of technology yeah. stuff, and he said, "I became a horticulturist because I, I just wanted to be around to the dirt and you know, like outside." And, <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people kind of went, you know, I hate my job. Yeah, I I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. And it was, it was fantastic. What a what an incredible gift to for everybody. a lot of people, right? Yeah. And some people are like, I can't wait to get
1: back. <laughs> you know, that's okay, too. They want the structure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's also, but you were in New York and it got devastated. I mean, people like someone that you worked with on one of your records, Hal Wilner.
2: Oh, Hal. Passed and away yeah. from that. Yeah, and yeah,
1: it just seemed like New York was ground zero for the actual uh, death count yeah. of COVID.
2: Yeah. We lost a lot of people.
1: Did you know others? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. It's
2: crazy, and uh, a lot of friends in in Europe too who were stuck in in Milan, especially uh, three people I know there died, and yeah, people I was working with, yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a very big thing, and but I think it it did do something. People are so vague about time now. Like it's, I don't know, uh, was yeah. it three years ago, four so, pre pandemic? I think so. That's you that's know, not, not like, just me. No, it's everybody's. Their clocks got got. Erased, you know, their their digital clocks kind of went error, 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 it's error wild, gone. Man. It's, it's all so gone. Wild. It's gone. It's so great. It's, you know, it's um, it's exhilarating. I I always hoped for something like this, not for the death of people, yeah, but for the reset, and to just kind of go, what what do you want, you know,
3: yeah, who, for you,
2: who are you, right? And I'm, you know. I had a very weird thing that just happened to me, probably because of the same thing. I'm, I go. I have been going since the late seventies to yeah. this place in Massachusetts to do meditation. So it's like very hardcore, eighteen hours a day for ten days. No sign, you know, no, no talking. talking? Just, oh really? Yeah, and you do what you do with all, all these meditation things. Your your mind is a clear sky and. Thoughts are clouds, so you yeah. see a cloud come by. You just <clears throat> okay, that's a thought. Let it go. Here comes another one. Let it go, um, and you you constantly do that to try to to find another place yeah. that doesn't have busy thoughts going through. You. Yeah. So, anyway, it's very standard yeah. thing, although. I also have a Swiss teacher who's, because he's Swiss, he goes, imagine not your mind is not a sky, let's say. It's a little yeah. lake, let's say he's Swiss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, every yeah. thought's a little sailboat. Uh-huh. Oh, here comes one, let it go. Here comes another one, let it go. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So then, but he takes it a little farther. He goes, now imagine what kind of wind is blowing these boats. Is it a fierce winter wind or is it some soft summer breeze? In other words, w- w- what's the engine? Where, where are your thoughts coming from? What mm. is, what's motivating them? Mm. We're, we're, what's your what's down there yeah. <laughs> doing this? Yeah. So, anyway, so I'm going through this whole thing, blah blah, thing, and I'm throwing the thoughts away. I'm in, you a, know, in a, there's a giant landscape of discarded thoughts. Yeah, yeah I'm there, and then <laughs> what happened was so weird. It just kind of came up out of that and went. I couldn't remember my name, and this went on for like ten seconds at least. And I was like and in the first couple of seconds you go, yeah. Wow, it's not my name and then you go, I don't know my name. And then you go, Is there a piece of paper around here with my name on it? <laughs> just wow, couldn't find you know, and it's a lot longer than you think. Like when you're introducing two people yeah. you can't remember the names, you're going, yeah. You two should really be yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. You'd like each other and it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, transparent that you can't remember sure. the names. You're broken up. Yeah. I'm terrible you just names. Kind of, you yeah. you two do it. Yeah. But when you're when it's your own name, it's wild. So I'm sitting there and finally after a searching around, yeah. I see this big shabby kind of banner. Yeah. And it has my name on it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that is so stupid. What does that have to do with all this discarded landscape of thoughts, you know? Yeah. And then the next thing, mental picture, was a whole lot of really beautiful, interesting artworks that were all, all different materials, yeah. really quirky kind of things. And then the, another sort of banner that goes... Primitivism. I'm like, right. how dumb that you have to put a word onto something so complicated, huh. so so diverse and weird and, right. you know, and you have to go, that's called primitivism. <laughs> you know,
1: that that so. is sort of a strange kind of uh, umbrella word for anything kind of raw and anything ethnic raw. Yeah. from yeah. different parts yeah. of the world and time.
2: But all those labels are classics. Yeah. Classic is the same. or right. You know, okay, that's, that's punk or yeah, that's sure. something, you know, yeah. and, it's, and it's just to, I mean, it's obviously we can't, we don't have time to, <laughs> to right. describe things in detail. So these are handy labels, but but when when, you're, when your name becomes a handy label, it's weird.
1: That's wild, yeah. huh?
2: And I think that's the biggest difference for me and looking around at the, the world now yeah. as as opposed to when I was a young artist, we, yeah. we weren't looking to make our names, right. or to sure. make a style that was right. going to be—I mean, when I started doing records with Warner yeah. Brothers, they yeah. said, "Well, we need you need a style. We need to like get you sort of like a branded thing." I was like, "Man, so I did it as a joke." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I thought it was ridiculous. And
1: now people—Which part do was it, a joke?
2: But you—you know, like, like your your look. Okay. Your, your st- you know, I was like, uh, sure. uh, well, yeah. uh, what? Well, yeah. uh, it's, it's to sell stuff." You know,
1: it's, right? It's but but leading up to the the records, I mean, you were working with all those. You know, you were in, interfacing with technology. You'd done the music. You uh, made the the different filters and the and the the violin. Stro- yeah, because yeah. I was. I You're wasn't, doing art stuff. Yeah,
2: and I, I wasn't making art to express myself.
1: I don't care if you know me or not. You know, well then what is the purpose? What why I, are you doing it?
2: Because I, I wanna see how things work. What colors they could be, what uh, shapes they could uh-huh. be, what kind of stories they could be. You know, it's not to tell you about myself. I don't
1: Care. But it comes out of you, and you, you yeah, can't. Yeah,
2: but, but you know, yeah, and okay. You, eventually, you have a kind of style. Yeah. But to to want to have a style, to no, be of in course, of course, was, is I think unfortunately for young artists now, they're told they have to have a style
1: and they a have brand. To, it's they called a brand, and yeah. they have to
2: be a, a whatever. Um,
1: but that's interesting because out of that same world that you come from, that there was, and I think it's it, you know it's become overdone. You know, people who explicitly want you to know them better than you probably want to know them. Probably. Well, I mean, Spalding was like that. I mean, and that yeah. was a specific trip, right? Yeah. But that was his rhythm. That was his that thing. That was his
2: thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, but – and now I, I – I Well,
2: he's a – yeah, he was an autobiographical, what, what they call – Okay, monologist. here's another yeah, – Here's another right, sure. label to slap on him. But yeah. he, he did want to know himself and he wanted you to know him as much as he could – articulate that and which is a funny kind of thing because even with the, the words that he tried to use and that he used, I yeah. shouldn't say tried to use, the words he used could be uh, shoved one way or another just by his the, his facial expression because yeah. you had to really see him do that. Also, I did some music for his movies yeah, uh, and I realized that because it's just a guy sitting at a table with a glass of water um, – you could make his story sound do, 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 ominous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can make it sound, and he's yeah. saying the same thing. So, power
1: of music. Yeah, is amazing. So when you when you write, you know the 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 poetry that drives, you know that is layered on top of the sounds and the music and the rhythms. You know those are not. They just come to you. That you know you kind of how do you work when you write?
2: Different ways. But now I'm I'm using a lot of AI programs, so the so you're adapting, yeah. Well, actually, um, I, I was working with this um, group sometime before the pandemic. Yeah, um, a million, million years, years ago before the plague. A million, million plague. years yeah. ago.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> called the Machine Learning Institute yeah. in Adelaide, in Australia, and they were. They said, "Okay, this is the biggest language supercomputer in yeah. the world. Right, you're the artist in residence. What do you want it to do?" I was like. It's a supercomputer, doesn't it? Can it get its own projects? It <laughs> what do you need me for? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so I said, okay, let's teach it to read the Bible because um, everyone's always banging on the Bible. Yeah. Saying, the Bible says. Yeah. And I said, really? What does it say? So we, we got to three different language streams that make yeah. up the Bible, he- Hebrew, Aramaic, yeah. and Greek. Yeah. And you can control those with faders. Uh-huh. So, if you're reading the Bible, right. you can control, you can add a little extra Greek. And it, the question was, is it going to be more rational? Uh-huh. If you add a little extra Hebrew, yeah. is it going to be more mystical? Yeah. Inconclusive results, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what they did was they put everything I ever wrote yeah. or said or recorded into the supercomputer right. and they crossed it with the Bible. And they sent me a 9,000 page book. The Bible, according, according to me, what? Yeah, it's creepy. I'm telling you, it's in it's in my styles, got syntax, got the, the yeah. kind of thinking, and I'm telling you in this book. Oh my God, with great confidence. Yeah, about the creation of the world, dominion of man over animals. Yeah, fiery end and revelations. You know.
1: <laughs> Are you using it?
2: Yes. Um, I mean, I'm addicted to this program now. So I'm the opera that I'm doing, which is an apocalypse. Uh, and,
1: but this is a real opera. This is not a Lower East Side opera. That's <laughs> right. It's it's an upper yeah.
2: Upper West Side opera right. <laughs> yeah. of um, apocalyptic dark comedy called Arc, and it's going to be come. Uh, it's going to be in. Um,
1: and this is your collaboration with AI.
2: Yeah, but also with them, um, they also put everything that Lou ever wrote into this program so with you the, or yeah. a separate one. I could now combine these two things. Wow! Come on, it's wild. Now I don't really think I'm. It's not a Ouija board thing, and I'm like, yeah, think I'm collaborating with my dead husband. Sure. No, I mean, but people have styles, yeah. And sure. They, they are styles, and you can meld them. So I'm writing these weird songs now that are collaborations between the two.
1: <laughs> through AI. Yeah. So this is the natural evolution of what you do in terms of your relationship with technology. This is it. It's almost like,
2: I yeah. But for a lot of people who work with tech, yeah. you know, the, the everybody's using the chatbot now. So and yeah, uh, to write their papers to do everything. And did you read the the love affair that the guy had with his with Sydney? No. Okay, it was with the new um, Bing supposedly uh-huh. the Bing
3: chatbot,
2: yeah. and got into a very long thing. Is it with, like that movie her? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're we're having to confront this now. I mean, who's who's in there is a certain another kind of intelligence that's kind of mirroring us. I mean, it really is with a lot of these algorithms, it's like Twitter in, Twitter out. You know, you just it depends on what you're feeding the AI.
1: But do you feel like you're grounded in yourself strong enough to do it? To not be sort of Erased by it.
2: Um, I don't mind being erased. Okay. You know, <laughs>
1: right. so you don't mind you don't mind forgetting <laughs> your name as long as you can no, come back.
2: No, it's and even if you can't come back, I don't know. It's it was a it was a kind of I thought oh, finally I'm making a little progress.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah,
2: no, I I, I did I aspire to disappear.
1: Now, I, I want to talk about because I had I lost somebody during uh, the pandemic, and I you know talking about grief. Mm-hmm. And, like, for some reason, i I was sent the the songs from the Bardos that you did, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. um from it was like on Smithsonian or something? was it like huh oh, yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yes, it songs, was, yeah, song songs from the Bardo yeah, And I sort of listened to it yesterday. And then, you know, I, I you know, just considering you know what you went through with lose sickness and how you i don't I don't get a sense of how you process things, but I found that for some reason, listening to the the Bardos, uh, I kind of got something that I didn't anticipate.
2: Well, I highly recommend a, a, something that I listened to about a hundred times. Yeah. it's about it's a it's a really long teaching by a guy named Bob Thurman, who's it's called the Liberation of the Between. Yeah, and it's about how um, what happens to uh, as you in in this in this belief system is, yeah. is, is what happens to consciousness, let's say, yeah. when, when you die, and at 49 days where your consciousness prepares to enter another life form, and how you can help that person do that. So, yeah. I, was, I listened to that. I haven't memorized it's It's, re, it's about four-hour teaching. Uh-huh. It's fantastic. And so, Bob Thurman begins that with, like, um, the thing to know about the bardo is there are no dead people. No dead people at all, mm. and he goes on from there. He goes here. There's the door. It's just a line, you know, and it, on and on like this. Uh, now, I have to say, you know, uh, Lou's been dead ten years, uh-huh. and I feel his presence every day, really in a very powerful way. I, I feel. I, he teaches me a lot. I find, I find, I still find notes around the house from him <laughs> yeah. that I haven't read. Okay, uh-huh. so yeah. it's it's like he's in my life. So is Hal Wilner. I mean, many. And I thought I, I've always believed in angels. They're around. And then recently, two weeks ago, a friend of mine came back from Barnasi. Yeah, and. This is a place in India where they carry the dead people on these stretchers and they toss them down the ghats down the stairs and they burn them up. And she she saw these – she saw them using this big stick and they're chopping up the charred body and they're chopping the head off, the charred head off. And she said two things came to her mind, final place. Yeah. And I was like, oh. She said, I don't have that much – Stake in reincarnation anyway. Yeah. You know, so I just saw that. I thought that. And I said, but wait, 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 wait. I, Lou talks to me every day. And, and I don't know. And, and then she said, I want you to consider this that they're inside you. Mm. I was like, oh, that's heavy. Yeah. Because then when I died, they're gone. She said, no, no. They're inside a lot of people. It's yeah. not like you're the only one carrying this. Yeah. So I, I've been trying this out the last couple of weeks. And it, it's it's intense. And it does give you a different sense of time. You know, it gives you this sense of like, wow, what if this is what my mind is doing with that? Mm. You know. Yeah. You know, doing all of these, 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 these things that I think are coming from some.
1: Outside, yeah. Outside. Yeah. What if it's. Inside, self-generated.
2: Yeah, and that's a thrilling idea, also.
1: But also the idea of chi that within and then connecting to universal chi. Why exactly, not? Exactly.
2: Exactly. I, I probably am going to compromise. Going, we're in an ocean
1: uh-huh, there, of
2: yeah. thought stream yeah, yeah, that we yeah. all live in, and sometimes we have bodies, sometimes we don't. Oh, yeah. And individuality isn't so important, right? So, so absolutely, it it comes down to something that's really. Especially thrilling to me, which is every single second that you're here counts. Every single second that yeah. you you are not, you we don't know where we come from,
3: huh.
2: don't know what we are. Yeah, so. Um, just try to try to be there for as much of it as you can. <laughs> you know, Don't sleep up. too much.
1: Yeah, show up.
2: No, oh, no, sleep is nice.
1: Yeah, sleep is <laughs> okay, nice. Okay, sleep is okay. wonderful. Okay, you know, no pressure, no right. pressure. Just no pressure. It's
2: just all about you know, love and joy.
1: All it right, comes I'll, down to that. Okay, I'll, I'll take it and I'll work on that. Yeah,
2: me too. I'm trying to work on that too. It's it's tough though because it it's easier Joy's to believe tough. in angels, you know.
1: I guess not for me, but like I, I have lately been experimenting with joy, and it's a, a little disconcerting.
2: Really high? Why? Because it's not comfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it feels vulnerable, and it feels like uh, an emotion that uh, originally f- manifests as a type of sadness first.
2: Well, then, then your your joy is your sadness.
1: Oh boy! <laughs> right. Was, I was hoping 18. not.
2: No, why not? Yeah. I, I mean, there it, it, everything lives inside the other. It's opposite, so it's, it's cool. Yeah. All I, right. I mean, I'm I'm like a, I I, I wallow in sadness.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I do. I like
1: yeah. it. I like it. But I, I don't feel it makes so me feel that, something. I don't feel sorry for myself. Yeah. It's something else. It's a. It's sort right. of you know, like I. It, there's yeah there it, there it, there's a, a it's a dark empathy
2: bingo that's i mean every day i think of our, what our teacher said and this is Lou's teacher too yeah and mine as well and we took him. He's a he's a guy from nepal and he looks like he's a really vulnerable guy incredible teacher in yeah. usa you don't know how to swim, do you? He said, "No, I sink all the time." He said, I'm going to teach you to swim. So we took this guy swimming. But what he taught us was something so great, and it was about this. I could sum it up in one sentence, yeah. which is um, what he said was try to practice how to feel sad without actually being sad. And I thought, "Whoa, that's it." Yeah, because um, he there are lots of sad things in the world. Yeah, and if you Pretend they're not there. You're an idiot. They're there. <laughs> yeah. But his whole thing is, like that. is don't become that. Do not become that. Feel it, but don't become it. And I was like, what a great distinction. Yeah. That is. That's that's where it, that's where it is. So, um, and he's all about. Um, he, he's he's. Uh, I don't know. I'm just picturing his face now, laughing, <laughs> you know yeah, just, is he gone? No, no, he's, he's, he's yeah. somewhere. He, yeah. he's, a, he's a He's a really incredible teacher. he He also just disappeared for about four years. He went, went off into a cave, really in Nepal. yeah huh. yeah, and he was somebody who was never alone in his whole life. always had three llamas trailing after yeah. him, and he because he's kind of this in this lineage of um, teachers. Yeah,
1: is he out of the cave? Yeah,
2: he's out of the cave. But he was in the cave when Lou died and I thought, Oh yeah, I need you right now. Uh, You're gone uh, in a cave. Yeah. Where we will come back. Yeah. Uh, so but so I, I I lived on those words. Yeah. You know, and that how that 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 um that's that Feel one it, key. don't be it. Feel it feel it and don't become it.
1: Don't become it. Yeah. yeah. Well it's a it's a lovely book and uh, it it's got me thinking already, honestly. Because I'm just I'm just hiking up a mountain and lifting weights and you know, trying to eat well. but like there there seems those like, are great things. Wow, Hiking up a mountain, yeah. yeah, like two or three times a week right over here. Wow, but but there seems to be something to this, and I you know, I tried meditation a bit during uh, during the pandemic, and I felt I felt that I could get there. you know, like i, I it was mm-hmm. not alien to me. It wasn't yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? I got it. Yeah, but this seems like there's some good information in here about. About you know harnessing the chi business, we
2: we've, we've got it, we've yeah. got it, we yeah. all have it, yeah, and,
1: and and we're all part of the big one,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so might as well, yeah. I I think there's some, you know, it, it's a lot of loose friends who talk about how this works, um, and it's just also a very practical thing to do for your body.
1: It's an and it's an interesting profile of of Lou Reed. Yeah, that like I like my friend Sam who lives in New York knew that he was in Tai Chi and I guess there was people that did but I didn't so I'm like this is whole other Lou. Yeah. So if you're a Lou person and you don't know Tai Chi Lou, this is now you're going to know Tai Chi Lou. It's funny I'll tell you a story and then we I got to get you out of here so you don't you miss your point because I've told the story before but like uh, you know I Lou Reed was uh, signing records with uh, the band he played on New Sensations mm-hmm. with it was for New Sensations yeah. I was in college in Boston. And he was signing records at uh, Strawberry Records in Kenmore Square. And I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see Lou. I'm going to meet Lou, you know. And I was like, you know, I was in line. And I'm behind this guy who's in a white jumpsuit with an amp strapped to his back and a guitar. I'm like, I got to be behind this asshole. You know what? But, so <laughs> <I, laughs> but I'm in line and I'm like, I got to connect. I got to connect with Lou. This can't just be a signing thing. I got, you know, we got to, I got to connect.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: So I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it, and you know, and I get up to the counter, and uh, he goes, what's your name? I go, it's Mark. And I go, hey, Lou, what what gauge pick do you use? And he okay. looks at me, right? And he looks at me and goes, medium, man. You got to use a medium. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like,
2: yes! Yes, yeah.
1: yes. <laughs> that yes. was my big Lou Reed moment.
2: Well, that's a good one because he, that stuff mattered to him. Yeah, that was that was where it, where it lived, you know. What pick it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, I can all tell all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Great talking to you. Same. Wow, right? Andy Kaufman. The book, *The Art of the Straight Line*, *My Tai Chi* by Lou Reed, is available now wherever you get your books. All right, hang out for a second. Hey folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex ultra soft tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know, all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing, but take my word for it. People definitely sneeze in here. And when they they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Folks, if you're interested in hearing more about Andy Kaufman and you have a full Marin subscription, you can listen to my episodes with Andy's friend and comedy partner, Bob Zamuda, and then my follow-up with Tony Clifton.
0: Well, I would go on fucking TV, Letterman, yeah. uh,
1: Merv Griffin, Bay. Remember sure. Merv, Mike Douglas yeah, show, Mike all that Douglas. stuff. Yeah, then yeah, I'd sure. go do it.
0: And it was me and Kaufman would right. be home laughing his ass off that right. people think it was him. So we became yeah. friends. And then, of course, after his death, right. right here at the comedy store, one year later. So he's dead. Oh, he's dead as a fucking Dorne. Right. Damn right. Sometimes you know, sometimes I'll be on stage and somebody yell out, uh, Kaufman, Kaufman, you Andy Kaufman, you know what I say? What? I say, You want to see Kaufman get yourself a shovel and a flashlight? What the fuck tell him to do? Crazy. Wait. Or I'll throw him out, or I'll fucking I, push so, the face uh, in All right, suit. so what about Zamuda? No, Zamuda- yeah, that guy, no, he's that fucking guy. He did an impression, of, he had terrible, terrible fucking impression me, let me yeah, tell you that. All right, all right. Then you had Jim Carrey in the movie. Yeah, Man on the moon. He didn't impress me and also said, other guy, Paul Giamatti. Yeah. He did one. But so that, a lot of people do impress. But I'm the original. I'm the guy. If I you get look it. back, if you look back on Merv, on Letterman, on yeah. Miss Biggie, right. you will see me. All right. And you and Zamuda had nothing to do with it. No, he every once in a while he was. Why are you fuck, so fucking mad at Zamuda? Because he's a fucking Stupid piece
1: of Polish shit. All right. All right. That's from episode 287, and the one with Bob Zamuda is episode 274. Those are only available ad-free for people with a full Marin subscription. To sign up, go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus or go to the link in the episode description. And speaking of the episode description, don't forget that we have an audience survey link in there. It will take you five to seven minutes to complete, and it's really helpful to us if you do it let lets us know how better to serve you, our listeners. And right now below the survey link is another link to submit a question for the next Ask Mark Anything episode on the full Marin. So that's a bunch of stuff you can do right now in the episode description. Sign up for WTF Plus, complete our audience survey and send me a question. Go for it. Some of you have noticed that I'm actually playing uh, partially uh, songs or familiar things, but they're usually pretty deep cut, so no one's really going to know except those of you who know. getting